All right, awesome. Wow, what a, what a great start to our day already. Wow, amazing. So today is a lot going on this weekend. I think uh, deer hunting season is kind of back up and running again. So I know some people are out doing, doing that. And another great thing that I wanna acknowledge is if, you, if you're a veteran, would you mind raising your hand for us so we can see who you are here in this crowd? We'd love to just kind of thank you. Yeah, we uh, are so, so appreciative of your service to our nation as we celebrate Veterans Day this weekend as well. And uh, as I said earlier, we are going through a new series we started last week called Real Living. And last week we had the R of real was about reject or learning to say no. So maybe hopefully uh, some of you guys are starting to put that into practice because that is a very important step if we're going to live the life God wants us to live. Today we're gonna to look at the E, which we're gonna say stands for expect or expectation, which I think is another very important thing to kind of get a hold of, really that mindset that we have if we're gonna live the life that God has for us. <clears throat> I was looking, uh, I was Googling the word expectations and came across some quotes that I thought were interesting. So one of them uh, <clears throat> by Bill Watterson, he says, I find my life is a lot easier the lower I keep my expectations. Another guy who lived a long time ago, Alexander Pope says, blessed is he who expects nothing for he shall never be disappointed. So maybe some of you guys do that one. Uh, Bruce Lee says, I'm not in this world to live up to your expectations and you're not in this world to live up to mine. So pretty good piece of advice. And then Stevie Wonder <clears throat> says, you can't base your life on other people's expectations. So really, as it looked at those, there's kind of two themes that seem to kind of surface from those quotes. One is that a lot of us have a lot of frustration around expectations, around unmet expectations, or unrealistic expectations. <clears throat> I remember a long time ago, when I first started doing junior high ministry, I was preparing for this Bible study with the group of seventh grade boys. And I was having a great time of preparation. I was in the passage and I was like, oh, this is such a rich passage. So much amazing truth in here. I can't wait to dig in this together. And I had the discussion questions laid out. The more I prepared, the more excited I was getting for our Bible study time. Well, I showed up to the house where we were meeting and for the next hour and a half, it was this series of WrestleMania, things almost getting broken, yelling at each other, rabbit trails, bodily gas, all these different things wrapped up together to where I was leaving, going home that night. I was like, I just need to quit. That was absolute disaster. What am I doing? I was very frustrated, right? And maybe two takeaways even on that one is, I have still had a lot to learn about how to be a junior high pastor, so always pray for our youth ministries. It's always a great thing to do. But secondly, I probably had some unrealistic expectations that was setting myself up for disappointment that night. <clears throat> the other theme that I think comes from, uh, kind of through, through these quotes, is that there's a lot of people who seem to have expectations of us. Sometimes they have negative expectations of us and it makes us feel discouraged. Oh, you'll never amount to anything. Or maybe some people have way too high expectations for us where we feel pressure. We have to perform to meet their expectations. <clears throat> so when it comes to real life, why would we include this idea uh, about trying to truly live? What is the positive side of expectations? 
I was doing a little research, and if you look at what the medical community has to say, and really what the motivational speaker industry has to say, they would say that there's a real benefit to people if they can learn to think positively or have positive expectations of life. <clears throat> a 2018 study published in the Journal of Aging Research found that having a positive mental attitude was linked to decreased mortality over a 35 year period. People who had a more positive outlook were also more likely to get regular physical exercise, avoid smoking, eat a healthier diet, get more quality sleep. John Hopkins Medicine says that people with a family history of heart disease who also had a positive outlook were one third less likely to have a heart attack or other cardiovascular event within five to 25 years than those with a more negative outlook. So it's interesting, even in our studies and medical science, they're seeing this connection between what goes on in here in our thoughts if we have a positive expectation or outlook and a longer and better quality of life. So there is something here, it's part of God's design that it matters what we think about. Another quote I ran across in betterup.com, it says, positive thinking means that you approach negative news or stressful situations with a positive outlook. You're able to look beyond the crisis or the setback rather than be consumed by it. And I see God's people, if you look through the story of scripture, if you look through the history of God's people, you see people having some kind of outlook, having some kind of expectation, and they're able to make it through the most difficult of circumstances. And how is that? <clears throat> I, look at, uh, I was looking at David's Psalm 27. And if you look at Psalm 27, it's really powerful because throughout that Psalm, he alludes to all these different hardships he was, under, he was going through. He talks about challenges that he's facing. He talks about enemies coming against him, days of trouble, being surrounded with people who just wanna take you down, being forsaken by his own family, people falsely accusing him. And then in spite of all these challenges, which would be really enough to depress you and get you down, he has this to say in verse 13 and 14 of Psalm 27. He says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not exactly the uh, reaction you would think he would have after all that he described, but he has this expectation. And you know, two things really stand out to me about what David says there. Number one, his confidence, this idea that he knew he would see the goodness of the Lord was in God's character, that God is good and that God is faithful. He not, only, he not only believes that he will see God's goodness, but David believes, he believed that he would see it in his lifetime. So I'll say this, you know, comparing, what do we see in David versus what we see from people who just have, try to have a positive attitude? I think it's true that there is value to having positive thoughts or a positive mental attitude, but its benefits are always limited because they're anchored to the shifting sand of temporary things, rather than the immovable rock of God's character. In other words, yes, are there some benefits to trying to think positive, sure, but it never really lasts. But if we can find a way to think positive that's anchored into God and what his character is, that's a totally different thing. 
So I think there's this pattern of this outlook that God's people had. And even if you look in Hebrews 11, one through two, it says this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. I love those words, confidence and assurance. I want that in my life. I want something that gives me confidence and assurance. And this is how it describes the men and women of God who've gone before us. So I believe that a properly placed expectation on God causes us to rise above whatever expectations people try to force upon us. It also puts our expectations on something solid that can be counted on, unlike the unrealistic expectations we have on life that quickly get derailed by other people or circumstances. And there seem to be some very positive expectations about God among his people, both in the Old and New Testament, that shaped their confidence in him. They had this confidence about their life. And I think confidence, becoming confidence built over uh, having repetition over and over. And I think God's people repeated these truths. They repeated these things they believed about God to each other. They sang about them. They spoke them to each other. And they saw God do things throughout their lifetime. So as my aunt says, not only did they have confidence, but they had Godfidence, which apparently is a word, I don't know if she came up with that. So that's your free word for the day, Godfidence, a confidence that's rooted in God. So I'd love to take a look at some of these expectations, some of this outlook that people had in the Bible. We'll start with the Old Testament. In your handout, I've got this phrase. A confident expectation in the Old Testament is that God is good and his love endures forever. Those are just some great, those are some great thoughts just to have in your mind. That God, you're good and your love endures forever. Psalm 136 verse one says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. This phrase or a form of that phrase is found 44 times in our Bible. And in this Psalm, that second half, his love endures forever is repeated 26 times in that Psalm. Must be important. God's people knew that I've got to remind myself and each other over and over and over again that his love endures forever. It's not gonna stop. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Dr. Susan Reek She says, it requires about 10,000 repetitions translating to a minimum of three months of practice to develop a new neural pathway in our brain and master a new pattern of behavior. This time frame can fluctuate as each brain is unique. She goes on to say, these neural pathways are the foundation of our habits or how we act in addition to how we think and feel. When we focus on gratefulness and positive thoughts, we strengthen the pathways in our brain to feel happy. And the reciprocal is true when we focus on pain and trauma. It's very important, therefore, to be mindful of our thoughts and to practice and strengthen positive thoughts when they arise. Maybe that's what they were doing in Psalm 136, practicing those not only positive, but true positive thoughts about the character of God that his love endures forever. So what are you repeating to yourself in your mind? If we could 
put a microphone up to your mind and we could all listen to it right now. That'd be a little scary probably, but what are we hearing? Like, what are you saying to yourself in your mind? Because that self-talk actually is either taking you towards a confident expectation in God or that self-talk is leading you down a very negative road. But it's how God made our brains. So this idea of God's goodness and faithful love, we see it over and over throughout the Old Testament. If you go to Psalm 118, it's there where it talks about again, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. When they dedicated the beautiful temple, Solomon's temple, they actually put it into a song where they sang about God's goodness. They sang about his love that endures forever at this amazing ceremony of dedication. And then fast forward a little bit, when you get to the fourth king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, which by the way, if you're gonna have kids one day, great name, I think I would recommend naming your child that. I think they would really appreciate that if you did that. But Jehoshaphat, we see uh, this story where um, there's this huge invading army coming at Jerusalem. And we see him pray to God and ask God to be their deliverer and to rescue them. And God answers that prayer and says, I'm gonna rescue you and you don't even have to fight the battle, I'm gonna fight it for you. Kind of like the song we sing sometimes. The battle belongs to you, God. And what's cool about that story is that as they go out to face this enemy army, at the very front of the army, uh, of, of God's, God's army, they put the singers, right? So like Mike, Mikey and Molly and uh, Cheyenne, they would all be there in the front of the army, right? Our band would be right there playing their guitars and they were singing. They were singing these words again, a form of that phrase, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. They're singing that and then God brings victory. It says he set ambushes and totally wipes out this invading army. So again, this was in people's mindset, no matter what was coming at them. They had this great expectation, this confident expectation in God. We see these stories. And then a really powerful passage, if you fast forward again in God's story, we see there was this conqueror named Nebuchadnezzar who was with the Babylonian empire. And he would come and conquer Jerusalem and tear down that temple that they had dedicated years before and burn it to the ground. And there's this book in our Bible called Lamentations, which is a reflection about this dark, dark time in Israel's history. And you see Jeremiah and, and he writes these words which are so powerful. You think about the ash heap and the rubble of Jerusalem and the temple Jeremiah writes this in chapter, three of, in chapter three of Lamentations. He says, verse 19, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. When we go through a hard time, it's very easy to think about all the bitterness, the negativity, the anger that we have, and just to simply dwell there. Verse 20 says, I remember them well, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Listen to this, verse 21. Yet, this I call to mind. I choose to think about something. And therefore, I have hope because of the Lord's great love. There's that idea of God's love that endures forever. We are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning, 
Great is your faithfulness. Such a powerful passage that reminds us that even when your circumstances are totally out of control and you are going through such a dark time, that as God's people, we can still call upon this confident expectation that we still have a God who is good and his love endures forever. And that's what Jeremiah does. He calls that back to mind in that story. So there's no doubt that those throughout time who've had a confident expectation upon God, they have seen that God really is good and that his love never fails. Our small group has been doing a study by Francis Chan called uh, Heart of God. And in it, Francis looks at a passage all the way back in Exodus where God actually describes himself to Moses. We've been talking about the people of God and the expectations they had about his goodness and his love, but God also has a moment where he tells us what he's like, and that's what's cool about this passage. In Exodus 34, six, it says, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He goes on to talk about his justice and a few other things, but he leads out with this idea of compassion and grace. Now, one aspect of God that Moses and the people of Israel definitely knew was that God was powerful, right? Because when, when God tells this to Moses, it's at Mount Sinai. And previously that was the mountain where there was smoke and thunder and God gave the 10 commandments to Moses. And this is the same God that not too long ago had brought all the plagues in Egypt and he dethroned all the false gods of the Egyptians to show that he is God Almighty. He's the God of gods. He's the only true God. And he parted the waters of the sea and then it closed on the Egyptian army. So Moses is very clear that God, you are powerful and you are almighty. But what's, what's amazing is that God says, yes, but what you may not know I want you to fully know is that I'm a God of compassion and grace. I'm slow to anger and I am abounding in love and faithfulness. I love that word abounding. It literally means you, you can't contain it. It's just like something that's overflowing, getting all over the place. God's saying, that's the way that my love is for you. It's abounding and it's overflowing. I think of a couple images come to mind. When I was a kid, we used to live in North Texas in Wichita Falls just shy of the Oklahoma border. And a couple times a year, we would drive six hours down to Wimberley and kind of in the hill country near Austin. And we would go there to see my grandmother, Charlie or Charlene. And the best part of that trip was the moment that we got out of our big, huge van that we would travel in and I would start down the sidewalk. And as soon as my grandmother knew we were there, she would come bolting out of that door and she would run out, she had all this energy and she would just wrap us up with the most intense, intense, radical hug where it would squeeze the life out of us and her face was radiating, had this huge smile. It was this incredible like picture in my mind of this kind of abounding love. That's one memory that comes to mind. But in our Bible, an anchor image for me about how God is this God of abounding love has always just been the prodigal son story, right? I constantly go back to that when I'm struggling to think about, God, do you really love me? God, does your love continue on? Jesus clearly wanted us to know in Luke 
about what our father is like, right? You've got this younger son who does everything he can to totally screw it up, which sometimes we feel that way, to mess it up. He spits in his father's face. He wishes his father was dead. He goes off and he blows all of his inheritance. And then finally, he just gets desperate and he starts to come, decides to come back. And while he's a long way off, the father runs to him, right? And embraces him. And again, I think it's just this picture of this overflowing, cannot contain it kind of love. And God wants us to know that's what he's like. And, and we can have this expectation that no matter where we are, that's what we can expect from him. We can have this outlook that God, you are always good and your love is, is abounding and it never fails. And so I wanna just say, you know, what are some challenges if we're trying to build this expectation and we're trying to have this outlook, what challenges us? I think I put a couple questions in here. Sometimes when we go through stuff, we ask the question, why is this happening to me? God, why are you allowing this, right? We've probably asked that before. Or maybe sometimes we look out in the world and we think, how could God be good in a world of so much evil? How are we supposed to hold on to this outlook when I look around and see the evil in the world? Let me just say this, while we are promised that God is always good and he is always abounding in love, we are not promised to always fully understand in the moment what God is doing this side of eternity. I appreciate these words from Isaiah 55. It says in verse eight, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I love that, you know, God's saying, look, there's things that I'm gonna do and in the moment, you're not gonna get them. They're not gonna make sense to you. But what's cool about Isaiah 55 too is that this is really God saying, I'm gonna redeem my people. I'm gonna bring them back from captivity and I'm not gonna forget them and I'm gonna give them a glorious future, a good future. But sometimes when you're in the thick of it, you don't see that. I have a friend of mine, Hank, who, uh, who says it like this. He says, God knows what we don't know. And God sees what we don't see. That's one I go back to a lot when I'm like, I don't get this. God, you know what I don't know. God, you see what I don't see. Even though we may not understand what he's doing, his goodness and his love, they never change. Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, says this. He says, with time and perspective, most of us can see good reasons for at least some of the tragedy and pain that occurs in life. Why couldn't it be possible that from God's vantage point, there are good reasons for all of them? I heard a testimony this week from one of the lost boys of Sudan, which is really an amazing story that so many kids from war-torn Sudan uh, escaped from these prison camps. They had been torn away from their families and many of them found a way here to the United States. And this uh, man I heard from, Lopez, ended up coming to the US and becoming a United States Olympic runner, which is really cool. But as he, as he shared his story, it was definitely one of hardship, abuse, difficulty, 
Um, you know, he was taken at age six, ripped away from his parents while they were having a church service. He was taken to a, like a prison camp and they gave him very minimal food. They gave him grain mixed with sand that they expected these kids to eat. So his life was one of suffering, but as he reflected on his story, he talks about seeing God through those moments and that he saw God's goodness still through even very difficult times. And it's really powerful just to remember that God is working and God is present and that he has a good plan even through the difficulties. So the fact is, God has given us a choice all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He gave us an option of either of doing life on our own terms apart from him, resulting in a world that has gone down a dark path leading to brokenness and evil. But one day, God will make all things right and fully bring justice to every wrong. We know that. You know, before too long, as we talked about earlier in our question, we are gonna celebrate Christmas. And I am, I am kind of curious, for those that were in here earlier, we asked the question, when's it right to decorate for Christmas? Anybody already decorated for Christmas? Anybody just wanna, all right, you guys are festive, man. All right, I already got the Christmas decoration out. Yeah, but every year we celebrate that. It's this amazing miracle of God entering into our human story and our suffering. Again, Tim Keller talks about this. He says, the Christian God came to earth to deliberately put himself on the hook of human suffering. In Jesus Christ, God experienced the greatest depths of pain. Therefore, though Christianity does not provide the reason for each experience of pain, it provides deep resources for actually facing suffering with hope and courage rather than bitterness and despair. I love that. So I hope that you and I, we learn to embrace this confident expectation over time through every season that God is good and his love endures forever. And one other expectation I wanna look at is from the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we see, and this is in your handout, they had an expectation that Christ has come and is coming again. You know, we see evidence that the early church had expectations in these phrases that united them together. One of them we see in 1 Corinthians 15, Steve talked about this a few weeks ago, it looks like the, an early Christian creed that the church would say when they would gather. And it was this belief that this Jesus guy from Nazareth was the Christ, meaning Christ, some people think Christ is Jesus' last name. Um, it's not just a last name, it means Messiah. He was the promised one, the rescuer that God said would come. So the early church believed he is the Christ. He came and he died for the forgiveness of our sins to make us right with God. But they also had this expectation in the early church that he was coming back soon. And that's, I think, the part that we sometimes miss or that we don't really have as much. And there was this word that they used, Maranatha, which means come, Lord. And so they would say that. In fact, I was reading, and uh, author Elwood McQuaid talks about this uh, in reference to Maranatha. He said, God chose to implant this pulsing Maranatha hope into the anatomy of his church. From the moment of Jesus' departure 
from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem when he would ascend back up to heaven. Maranatha, our Lord come, became the watchword of the church. It was their greeting and their parting word of hope. Perhaps he would come for them today. This marked the early church, said this expectation about Jesus has come back. Maybe he's come back today. You know, when Paul was signing off on the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22, he says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come Lord, Maranatha, he writes, come Lord. And then Jesus, even in Matthew 6, when he's teaching us how to pray, in verse 10, he says, pray like this, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think this kind of has a double meaning of, of his kingdom is already coming now in a sense that every time that a believer comes to know Jesus and gives their life to him and asks him to be in charge, God's kingdom is coming through us. We see God's goodness. We see God's love spilling out all over the world. But I think also in this prayer, we're supposed to desire and have an expectation that God's gonna fully bring his kingdom and that's gonna be a good thing and fully bring his will on earth as it is in heaven. Earlier this week, I had a lunch meeting at Jason's Deli and I was ordering my food and Savannah was there taking my order. She attends Stonebridge and I love it. She's there at the cash register. She has an open Bible just sitting right there and we're just talking. And she is just one of these unashamed Christ followers. And as we talked, her face lit up and because she believes that Christ is coming soon and she's excited about it. It really challenged me about this such a confident expectation that she had because I think a lot of us struggle with that. We don't always have that excitement for the return of Christ. And why is that? What are some challenges to this expectation? I'll put a couple in there. Maybe for some of us we think, I kinda have things I wanna experience first before Jesus comes back. Or I'm not so sure about this heaven afterlife thing. It's just kind of weird to me. You know, maybe we have some of those challenges to that expectation. I remember many years ago, we had an intern who worked with our youth ministry. And we, we used to mess with them a little bit. So we, we would tell them something like, hey man, so we've been uh, really deciphering some, some Bible codes and some different prophecies. And, and we've, we've determined that, that the specific date when Jesus is coming back is actually gonna be the night right before your wedding night. I'm so sorry, man. Yeah, he's gonna come back right before your wedding. And of course, like, no, you know, like he's looking forward to that, right? There's some things that, you know, we're like, I want him to come back, but I think there's some other things I feel like I might miss out on. So I don't know if I have that anticipation or not. The other thing is just our concept, I think of heaven and the new earth. I think for a lot of us, we think, I don't know what to think about like, you know, clouds and floating around and everybody's wearing a toga or some kind of Greek looking uh, clothing, I'm not sure. And, and we're playing harps and we're just sort of doing this endlessly. Like that doesn't excite me, right? I think we have a lot of uh, wrong thinking that's affected our anticipation of Jesus coming back. I wanna read Revelation 22, verse three and four. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself 
will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I love that description. You know, as I think about that, it reminds me that heaven or the new earth is a place where we are fully with God, this good God, this God who is abounding in love. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And so as, I, as you think about your fondest memories, if you think back on good experiences, anything truly good is from God. As we think about our worst experiences, our most painful ones, anything that's truly evil or bad won't be in this next life. And so this helps grow my expectations. I think about, I get to fully be with God and have even more uninterrupted intimacy with him one day. And that's gonna be so amazing. I'm challenged by Paul's words in, in uh, Philippians chapter one. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I love that expectation that Paul had, that desire that Paul had. He's saying, if I gotta live on this life, I want more and more of Jesus. I wanna experience him and know him more and more. And I wanna tell other people about him. But man, I can't wait to be with him fully. Maybe that means he's gonna come back. Maybe that means that, you know, he's, he's wrestling. I love he's kind of arguing with himself. He's like, I don't know what's better. I really kind of want to go ahead and die and be with Jesus. That would be awesome. But I guess I need to hang around earth for a little while longer to do a few more things that God wants me to do. Maybe that's better. But he has just this desire to want to be with God. That challenges me. Hopefully that challenges you a little bit. Like, where are you on that expectation about Christ coming back and being with him? So as we wrap up today, I wanna to think about one final question. How can we change, begin to really work on and change our mindset and have a more confident expectation upon God? Here's a really great memory verse for you. You can impress your friends. 1 Timothy 5.17, two words, pray continually. I know that y'all can memorize that, not a problem at all. Pray continually. I think prayer is a powerful tool to help transform our mindset into a confident expectation upon God. And I have a friend who's challenged me to pray in a couple ways I wanna share with you guys as we wrap up here. Number one, as you go about your day every day, practice thanking God for those good gifts and those sunshine days, right? We're in a, we're in a time of Thanksgiving right now, the month of November. There's something about focusing on gratitude recognizing that God's the giver of your good gifts, focusing your mind and your thoughts in prayer on him and thanking him. You'll see, it's amazing what that can do for your mindset. Number two, thank God that he is good and that he is working even on those rainy days when things don't work out well, when you're going through difficulties. When something happens that you weren't expecting or you have a difficult situation, learn to thank God and recognize he's still good and he's still loving even when we don't understand while he's allowing something. And then as you, as you pray this way, as you keep this continual sort of prayer dialogue going, also get around other Christians who can pray for you, who can remind you about what God is like, 
that he is good, he loves us, you need to be reminded, we need to remind each other to keep us with a confident expectation on him. And then last point here is that prayer changes the way we think and what we desire. You know, over time, praying like this, thanking God no matter what's going on, is kinda like what happens is, like it says in Romans 12 too, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're forming those new neural pathways in our brain and we're becoming more and more and more confident in God and our hope in him. And Paul talks about in Romans 12, one, he says, live your whole life in view of his mercy. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Think about him, think about what he's done for you. This is the God that uh, not only do we have the Old Testament and what he's communicated to us, he's the same God who sent his son to die on a cross for us. He demonstrates that love. So live your life in view of that. Pray to him, thank him, talk to him, and let your expectation of him continue to grow and strengthen. So what you and I think about really does matter. Be careful with your thoughts. And I hope that you and I can really live as we learn to wake up every day with a confident expectation that says, God, you're good, your love never stops, and you're coming back soon. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the truth of who you are, God. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to just be stuck in trying to just have positive thoughts or trying our best to have a positive mental attitude, but Lord, there's so much positive truth about who you really are and your character. And, and Lord, I pray that, you know, maybe there's some people in here that it's a, it's a really great season. Well, Lord, I pray that for them, that they would just bring grateful hearts. Thank you for those good gifts that they clearly recognize. And maybe for some of us in here, it is very, very difficult season. Lord, I pray that just like Jeremiah, they would recall to their mind that you are still good, that you have not stopped loving them, that it continues on, that nothing will stop your good plan. Give them faith. Let your mercies be new each and every morning for them to sustain them through a tough time. And maybe you're in here today and you've never turned your life over, you've never entered into a relationship with this good and loving God. Today's an opportunity to do that. In one way, it's very simple because he has made it possible for you. All we have to do is turn from our old life. That's just what repent means, to turn from our old life, confess our sin and to turn to him Say, I need you to be my savior. I believe that you came, you lived a perfect life, you died on a cross for my forgiveness and you rose again. I put my trust in you. Would you save me, make me into the person that you want me to be? If that's your desire, God will hear that prayer from your heart and you will become a new person. You will become a child of God, you're forever changed. 
So Lord, we thank you that you are good. Help us just to be comforted by your love today and the good plans that you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name.